The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll continue our series, Dear Church, as we dive in a little deeper and let the Word speak to us. Now here at OPCC, we have a very high view of the Bible. We say that often. Like we look at the Bible and say, man, we want to have a high view of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. But when we say that, we need to understand some things about the Bible. It's one thing to have a high view of the Bible, but the Bible was meant more than just to be studied. It's meant to be obeyed. And so we, we get into the Word. We believe the Word has authority in our lives. We develop rhythms, healthy rhythms in our lives where we're abiding in Christ so that fruit can be produced in our lives. And so the words that we look at and we begin to understand and unpack, they have tremendous significance for our spiritual development. And so that's why we see so many times when we think in terms of the Bible was meant to be studied, we see so many times the words therefore and wherefore. Like they're all over the scripture. Um, Especially in the New Testament as you're reading the letters, as we've been studying and unpacking this letter that Paul has written to the church, there's a whole lot of stuff that he will share with us and then he says, Therefore, And so it's almost in the sense that in the first few chapters, we've been studying about all of the wonderful, incredible things the Lord has provided for us. Paul has been saying, you're spiritually wealthy. And then, and then he basically shifts gears. And it's almost like he's saying, this is what Christ has done for you. And in light of this, here is what you ought to be for Christ. Now, it's very important that I say what you ought to be, not what you ought to do. Um, there is some responsibility, and there are some things that we are to do. But when it comes to who we are in Christ, it's more about the image of God being formed in us. And that's about being and not doing. So there are certain things that we do in order to shape our being, but they're not things that we just try to do to please God. And, and you can, if you get those mixed up, you can really screw your identity up. You start to think that the way that you um, are in relationship with God is based on your performance and the things that you do as opposed to who you are. And so all that you do has to, to pour out of who you are in your identity. That spills into how you perform and what you do for the Lord. And so he's constantly trying to refine us and shape us and make us into the image of Christ. That's why he is in us. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent to possess us so that he could refine us and shape us into the people that he wants us to be. Now, in this refining process, it requires a tremendous amount of one thing, surrender. Like the more we surrender to the lordship of Christ and the authority of the word in our lives, the greater level of the uh, refining that takes place and the more fruit that is produced in our lives. And and so we look at all of the things that are happening around us, and we begin to see that the Lord is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to focus on things, and he's trying to refine us into his image. And as we seek to surrender in different areas of our lives, there are things that can seem extremely overwhelming. Like you look at them and go, I just don't know if I can let go of that. And one of the reasons that we have such a difficult time letting go of some things like this is because we look at everybody around us 
And there are a lot more people who are not living this way. And so we look and we go, man, like it's, it makes it harder for us. If everyone was surrendering, it would be harder not to surrender. But everyone is not surrendering. As a matter of fact, everybody in the church here today in the small group that we have, you're not all surrendering. Um, and even if you are surrendering in different areas, like maybe I should just, there's always something we need to surrender, right? And some things are, are easy to identify and they're holding us back. And when we let go of those things, then we can move forward and, and the Lord will reveal something else and we need to let go of that. And it's constant. It's, it's called sanctification. It's spiritual growth. And it is something that is to happen inside of us as we grow from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, until either Jesus returns um, or that we die and we, we pass on over to the other side. There is a refining that is to go along inside of us. And the unhealthy thing about the church is, is that we have gone through several decades of teaching and being very evangelistic and teaching that Jesus is Savior. And we've left off that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so when we come into the kingdom, it is the beginning of our journey in, in the experience of spiritual birth. And there's an expectation that as we have that birth, that we grow beyond infancy into spiritual adulthood. And the reason the church is, is not in America, it's not real powerful, is we have a lot of people who are spiritual babies running around and not going through the process of spiritual growth by surrendering to the Lord these areas and holding on to them. And so the kingdom is not being formed in their lives. And so they're not going through the process of spiritual growth. So, like, it's great that you believe in the Lord and you come to church and you worship him and honor him, but Jesus wants more. He wants all of you. He wants every place in your life, and he wants you to learn the secret of surrender to let go of these things. And as we begin to do that, then what happens is we begin to experience the abundance of spiritual life in us because Christ is being formed, and the fruit of Christ, that which is most significant and most meaningful in life, that which brings meaning to our marriage, meaning to our, our children, and, and being parents, meaning to our jobs, meaning to um, all of our relationships, it is Christ being formed in us. And so we got this one thing where, okay, the truth of the word is speaking to us and challenging us in this way, and then we have this other thing where there's a world system, if you will, and we studied this a lot, and uh, I think it was, I don't remember which, which, what series it was, but we studied it, I remember, um, is, is that there's a system out there that is trying to pull us away, and it, it's often described as the world, um, and there, there's a system. So one sense, the, the Bible uses the word world, and it's talking about the people of the world, and sometimes it uses the word world in a negative sense, and it's talking about a system of the world. And so that's when we look out and we look at life and we look at a lot of people who don't care about the things that we're talking about today and the truth of the word and it having authority in their lives, that's kind of classified in the Bible as the world, this system that is not for the Lord. And so today we're going to dive in and see why is this happening? Why, why do you work with people who, like, you're trying to follow the Lord, and there are some people in your life, they don't care. Like, they don't care at all about following Jesus. They don't care about getting in the Word. They don't care about 
shaping their life in such a way that they're surrendering in different areas. So why is that happening? Well, Paul, he answers it for us, and this is what he says in um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. And our first takeaway is, Dear church, do not live in the futility of thought. Like, don't live in the futility of thought. Look at what he says in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, when he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about people who are not in the kingdom. To Paul, there were two types uh, or three types of people, if you will. There were the Jews, there were the Gentiles, and, and in Jesus... The Lord has did away or done away with both of those. He's formed a new race. That's why we're described as um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's a new race of people. What is the new race of people? People who are in Christ. They are part of the new race. And so he says, no longer live like people who are not a part of this new race in the futility of their thinking. And so Paul insists in the Lord that we not live in the futility of thinking. Now, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that we can see is that, and and this is very interesting, is that you can think your way away from God. You can think your way away from God. So here is the Lord. He wants to be in relationship with all of you. We know that for God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves the world, but there's a lot of the world that the Lord loves that they're moving away from him. And it has to do with their thinking. And it can be the futility of their thinking. So what does futility mean? Well, it's an interesting word in the Greek. It comes from the word mytiotes. And it means the nothingness of man, devoid of truth, depravity. And so Paul says, don't think like you used to think. And that's why we have trouble in the church with people coming into the kingdom with Jesus as Savior, and they continue to think the same way. They don't shift their thinking, so Jesus only becomes Savior, and they never understand the incredible freedom that comes when Jesus becomes Lord. He is Lord and Savior. He is not just Savior. And so we're thinking in a futile way when we're only thinking of him as Savior, as entrance into the kingdom of God. And we're not going beyond that and realizing he has lordship over my life. Now, the scripture is specifically saying to us as believers we need to think differently. That everything changes when we trust Christ. There is a new man. There's a newness of life. There's a newness of experience. There's a newness of direction because now we have been born of the Spirit and the Spirit of God now lives in us. And, and so the Word says, no longer think in the futility of thought. It is an insistence for the believer. It is not okay for you to think like everyone else. And so when you see people who are living apart from God, you need to understand one of the reasons they are not focused on this is because they're thinking in a futile way. They have, they're living in the futility of thought. And you are not living in the futility of thought. 
We are not to cast judgment upon them for not following the Lord like we do because they probably don't know the Lord like we do. So we're to be an example and to live in the freedom of Christ so that they can begin to recognize there's something wrong with the way that we are thinking compared to the way that they are thinking. And so we look at that and we go, okay, what, what, is the, what does the futility of thought look like? Well, Paul describes it for us in verse 18. This is what he says. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more and more. So, like... There's a lot in there, man, that, that Paul's trying to get us to see. He's like, man, this, here, don't think in the futility of thought. Here's what thinking in the futility of thought does to you. Here's what it looks like. First of all, he says they're darkened in their understanding. When you start thinking in a futile way, there is a darkening of your understanding and your ability to comprehend what God is trying to get your attention about. It's like a mental fog that blocks divine light. This is why Paul says in another letter, take every thought captive and judge it. Like he's telling us, judge every thought in the name of Christ. Bring it all through the filter of Christ. Don't get lost because in your thinking, because if you do, you're going to put a mental fog that keeps you from being able to recognize the divine light that God is bringing into your life. Uh, life. They can't, people that are, are stuck in the futility of thinking can't think straight about spiritual matters. They are separated from real life. Remember what Jesus says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. These people who are stuck in the futility of thought are thinking differently about life. And if you continue to think, even though you have been rescued from darkness, you have been brought from death to life, and you come over to the other side and you experience a transformation in your life, and the Lord starts to move, if you continue to think that way... You're going to be in a dark place. There's going to be a mental fog. It's going to be hard for you to follow the Lord. Listen, the hardest thing about following the Lord is just denying yourself and surrendering to him. Just let it go. Like learn to cut loose in an area, cut loose areas of your life that the Lord is trying to refine. And as soon as you let it go, you begin to understand it's not nearly as important as you thought it was because the Lord starts producing fruit in that area of your life. And you experience the zoe, the abundance, the spiritual life that is so talked about in the New Testament. And so the fruit starts to grow as we abide in Christ and he reveals areas of our lives that need to um, be let go of. We need to cut loose of things. And as we cut loose of those things, then fruit starts to grow there. And, and this is the way the spiritual journey is supposed to act or, or, or operate for us. And so people can be stuck in, uh, and, and separated from real life. They're, they experience ignorance from hard hearts. Now, we don't mean that they're ignorant people. We just mean that there is an ignorance about spiritual things for them because of this mental fog and this separation from the spiritual life. And what happens is, they're incapable of appreciating what God offers. So people who are not living and surrendering this way are incapable of appreciating the grace of God that is offered to humanity and receiving forgiveness of their sins. And so what happens to them? Well, the scripture says there's a constant need for more and more. Like it's just like with a, a continual lust for more. So 
This constant need for more and more is a need for more pleasure. They're not content. And so what do they do? They are given over because of a, and and I I kind of uh, skipped over there, a lost sensitivity to shame. There's no shame about how they're living. And so we look at the world, man, and go, how could people do that? There's no shame because there's a mental fog. Their heart has become hard. They're dulled to these things. They can't appreciate what God offers because their heart has gotten hard. And so now they've lost sensitivity to shame and they're given over to indulgence. Now watch this. Like what happens is we see, we see that word indulgence and we immediately attach it to things that are socially unacceptable. Like uh, being addicted to alcohol or drugs. That person is indulging in their lifestyle. Well, church, you need to understand you can indulge in a lot of things. You can indulge in Disneyland. Like you can get to a point where you're like, man, things just don't seem right. I'm going to go on a cruise. And that will make me feel better. And then every year you got to go on that cruise. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a cruise. The only thing I see wrong with a cruise is how much it costs. I can't go on one, right? I had too many children. But uh, uh, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with a cruise, but when the cruise becomes an indulgence to help you to have some pleasure in your life because you are discontent and there's a constant need for more and more in order for you to be at a place of contentment in your life, that's indulgence. You can indulge on food. Like you could just eat more and more. You can indulge on any kind of experience. It doesn't necessarily mean um, that it, it, it is a negative thing as society would paint it. And indulgence is anything that we are trying to bring pleasure into our lives apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're separated from that life. There's a mental fog. People, I think one of the most dangerous things in this community that I see among families, good, moral um, people, is they indulge in their children. Their life is all about their kids, all about their kids being involved in this sport and this, you know, doing this and club that and club the other, and they're totally dominated by living their life through their kids because maybe they didn't get an experience that they wish they would have gotten, and so vicariously they're trying to recreate their experience, and they're indulging in their children. My kids don't have that problem, do you, Jonah? <laughs> And so, and so what we have to be careful of is we have to recognize, man, an indulgence doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. It is anything that is taking the place of my pleasure coming from where it ought to come, and that is my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's an enemy that's constantly working and trying to get people to realize or to like off their focus, get their focus on things and on stuff and on pleasure before Christ. And so they don't make the sacrifice. And they never experience the wonderful experience that the Lord wants us to uh, have on, on a continual basis. And so we'll see that. Like we'll see we're in a war. When we get to chapter 6, he's, t- he's talking to us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so he's kind of setting it all up at this point in the letter. And so the next thing he says, dear church, put off the old self and put on the new self. Look at verse 20. You, however, he says, so there's a separation. This is a futility of thought. This is the way you're supposed to think. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, deceitful desires to be made new 
in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is why it's so important about being and not doing because as we begin to look at this, we see that there's an expectation that we are being formed in Christ and we're taking on righteousness and holiness. And he, he says, you did not come to know Christ that way. Um, and some translations say you, don't, you didn't learn Christ that way. And this is very important. We don't learn about Christ. Okay? You don't learn about Christ. You don't go, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study Jesus and learn about Christ to get to where we're talking about. You can learn about George Washington. Like I could learn and study about George Washington. I could be fascinated with the history of the United States of America and I could learn and I could study and I could hear all these incredible stories. He is a fascinating individual and there are a lot of really cool stories that, that exist around his life and I can learn about him but I cannot come to know him because he is dead. But Jesus on the other hand is alive. That's, that's the whole point of the resurrection of Christ is that we don't learn about Jesus, we come to know Jesus. And in coming to know Jesus, we learn how to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, the fruit of Jesus is produced in our lives. But it can never be produced in our lives if we don't come to know him. And so this is a very important part of, uh, of the scripture. And we've seen this, or of this letter, we've seen it over and over. He calls them little born ones. They, that, that this is a, an extremely important part of your spiritual journey is that you've had an experience with Christ where you've encountered him and you have been born Again, And so we uh, look at this and we, we see that he's saying not only do we come to know him, but we put off the old. What is the old? It's falsehood. And we put on the new. What is the new? It is truth. The old no longer controls us. The truth does. And so now we're beginning to understand why everyone else is not living like we're trying to live. It's because everyone else is being controlled by the old, the falsehood that we used to be controlled by, but we're trying to be controlled by the new, the truth, and give it um, its way in our lives so that it brings about freedom and produces fruit. And so then he says, when you do this, the divine image is reproduced in the disciple of Christ. What is the divine image? It's righteousness and holiness. Like, Like we become people who are righteous and holy as their divine image is reproduced in us. You can't do righteousness and you can't do holiness. You can only be it. Now, what, is, what does it look like when we become righteous and holy people? Now, like, I want to be very clear about this. We're, we're not describing self-righteousness. We're describing the righteousness of Christ. So it's not self-righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ being formed in us. And what it looks like is we become people who love truth and hate sin. Our own. Not everybody else's. Like we, we hate it all, but what we're really focused on is the truth of, of the Lord in our lives and the sin that is trying to lead us astray and away from that truth. And so we love truth in our lives, and we hate it when sin is in our lives, and we begin to recognize when we're engaging in sinful behavior, and we do everything that we can to avoid it and surrender that area to the Lord so that more fruit can be produced in our lives. So dear church, do not live in the futility of thought. Dear church, put off your old self and put on your new self. And then finally, dear church, learn the layout of your life. This is what Paul teaches us. In verse 27 of the the, um, remaining part of the text that we're going to look at today, he says, don't 
give the devil a foothold. Now, what in the world is a foothold? Well, it comes from uh, the Greek word topos, okay? And it's a, it means a place to operate. It doesn't mean that he's got a hold of your foot. It is a foothold. It is a place from which and you can operate, whether whoever it is. It's, it's, a, it's a place from which any, the enemy can operate. And so in, um, like we get our word uh, 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 topo, topography. And so like a topographical map is rooted in this, this word. Now, um, for those of you, if it's your first time here, um, let me share a little bit about you. Most of the church doesn't know this about me, but, but I'm, I'm going to share it with all of you today, is that I love to bow hunt, right? <laughs> so I love to bow hunt. And, and pursuing like the white tail, like really pursuing a, a mature white tail buck is a very challenging thing. That's one of the things that I love about it, is it's just hard to do. Like it's, I went years before I ever saw one. Um, and so, like, it's just a very challenging thing to get within 20 to, to 40 yards of this wild animal that, that can smell you and, and, and just is, it's like, their number one defense is, is flight and their nose. Like, they run. When they smell something, they're out of there. And so, you're trying to get close to these things. And so, like, you get this ground to hunt, and uh, sometimes I'll get permission on, on new ground to hunt. And, and yeah, that's a subliminal, mes- subliminal message if you have new ground to hunt. Like, we need to talk after service, right? And so when I do, what I'll, I'll, I'll pull up uh, uh, some imagery on a map. I'll pull up a Google image. And I'll look at the timber and the layout of that farm. And after I do that, then I, I read this book several years ago. It's called Mapping Whitetails. And I learned how to use um, a topographical map. And so a topographical map has all of these lines on it. and con- They're called contour lines. And the closer they are together then the steeper the area is. The further are, they are uh, apart, then the, the flatter the area is. And so I'll take a topographical map and lay it over the, th- the um, uh, Google image, and I can see the lines that are formed and how, what's going on inside the timber. And what I've learned, and it's very fascinating, is that there are different places. There are saddles that you can see in the timber by watching these, these lines. There are, there are ridge tops that you can find. And so I will look at it, and over the years, because of my experience, I've learned what white-tailed deer, how they like to travel. What, like, and it's, it's so consistent. I can find a certain pattern on that topo map, put it over the timber, look at it, and go, okay, this is probably most likely where they're traveling I go there, I scout the property, go straight to that place, and more often than not, I'll find deer sign all over that area. And so I'm learning a place from which to gain a foothold on a whitetail buck, right? A place to hang a stand and have a foothold and, and intercept him as he's going to and from a water source or a food source. And so that's what we have to get good about understanding in our own lives is the topography, the layout of our lives. And so Paul, what he does is he shifts as he says, Dear church, don't be living in the futility of thought. Dear church, put on your new self and, and take off your old self. Then he takes us to um, uh, uh, the, the therefore. And what he's doing is he's making a connection between the principle and the practice. Here's the principle, and here's how you practice this. And so then he says in verse 25, Therefore, 
Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And so what he's doing in this moment in time is he's saying, look, here's some areas on the top topography of your humanity that you need to pay really close attention to because the enemy will come and try to trip you up right here. And these are areas that need to be on your radar that you need to understand and you need to bring under control. And the first one that he uses is lying. Like We need to speak the truth in love. And so when we speak the truth, God works. And when we lie, Satan goes to work. And that's what Paul is trying to, to get us to say. see. Now, here's the, here's the thing. is that You're probably all sitting there going, well, you know, I, I don't lie. Here's the danger. We mostly lie to ourselves. And that's what leads to lies to others. That's what leads to hypocrisy. That w- that's what leads to getting ourselves trapped. And so Paul says, look, man, you got to watch this area of your life. Don't lie to yourself. Like, here's how it works. The Lord starts trying to speak truth into your life, and the Holy Spirit starts to convict you of a certain area of your life that you need to surrender. And so what do you do? You start lying to yourself and go, that's not really that bad. And because now you've started to think, well, it's really not that bad, then you start to, the enemy starts gaining a foothold in that area of your life because you didn't recognize it. And so now he's like saying, yeah, you're right, it's not that bad. Look at everybody else, they're doing it. And all of a sudden, you've got a mental fog. And now that mental fog is causing you to have a little bit of a hard heart. And that hard heart is keeping you from doing what the Lord wants you to do and surrender that area of your life. And so what happens is you don't surrender it. You start indulging in it. And then you get caught up in a lifestyle and the kingdom cannot break out in your life. And you're constantly in need of more and more because you can't gain spiritual contentment in your life. This is why he says you got to understand the layout of your life. And he says, don't be one who's caught up in lying. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to others. Then he goes on and he says in um, uh, uh, verse 26, after he teaches us that the believer's life is to be controlled by truth, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And so the second area that he says that we need to understand in the topography of our lives is anger. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to get angry. And, and there is actually, there, there's a time to be angry. But what we are not to do is to let it fan into wrath, where we begin to respond to the anger, the anger, the anger and we, we say, you know what? I'm not going to let that control me. I'm going to leave room for the Lord to work these things out in my life. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm just going to control my anger, and rather than have an outburst in this situation, or rather than trying to go and, and um, like tell the person how they wronged me, or try to hurt them because they hurt me, I'm not going to let the sun go down on that. I'm going to work through it, and I'm not going to fan my anger into a place of wrath. I'm going to let the Lord take care of that. Here's the third thing. Verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. And so work is a biblical concept. Like we're supposed to work. Like there's an expectation that we are engaged in some kind of work so that we have to share. And, and we're not supposed to steal from others. Now, I don't think that you guys are, are thieves. Like, I would hope that, that you're not stealing from people. But 
I, don't, I think we have to go beyond if we really want to surrender and experience the move of the Lord in our lives. I think this goes beyond in you going down to uh, Target or, or Shields and slipping something in your purse or come, going to someone's house and you see someone left something out and you're like, well, it's there for the taking. And I'm, I think it goes beyond that. You know what? I think that we can steal in a number of ways. And I think that what it means when we really think about stealing is don't take from others to satisfy yourself. I think it's possible to steal from the giftedness of other people. Maybe not even a material thing, but a thing that God has put in a person that we steal to use on ourselves for our own pleasure. So we can steal from each other emotionally. We can steal from each other by what we can get a person to do by manipulating them. And he says, don't be a person who is thieving. Remember, the thief comes to steal, but the Lord comes to give us life more abundantly. So we need to be careful of that area of our lives and go, how I'm treating this person? Am I trying to steal something from them in order to spend it on myself? That's the same thing as going into a person's home and taking some jewelry. What would be the difference? We're taking something that doesn't belong to us to use it on ourselves. Now, does that mean that we cannot allow other people to pour into us? No, they're supposed to, but you understand there's an, under, there's an unhealthy balance here that when we be, get into a manipulative attitude and we're, we're using people, we're stealing from them. It's the same thing. And so he says, be careful in that area of your life because it's a place from which the enemy can operate and he can set you up for failure. And then um, the, he goes on in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we have to be careful with um, every word that comes out in the matter of like, well, you ought to, you ought to speak with uh, good speech and you ought not tell coarse jokes? I think you ought to be really careful with that. But here's what the context says. You say things that build people up, don't tear them down. When it comes to, uh, to our speech, it's what comes out of a man that defiles him, and we are to use our mouths to build others up, not destroy them. And when we become people who are speaking negativity and destroying others verbally with our words, then we have, we've, we've, like that's an area in which the enemy can operate. He can gain a foothold. He can trip us up. And then again, that whole hardness cycle, that, that, that mental fog. And you can get stuck there. And that's how we end up with believers who say that they know Jesus, but they're treating everybody like the world treats them. That's not, like, that, that's not biblical Christianity. Like that's being a disobedient follower of Christ, and it's, it's, it's being a person who's been set free by the blood of Christ, but you're living like a slave. And that doesn't, like, there's no freedom in that, and that's not the way we want to live. And so we have to be careful with our speech. And then the last one, he says, and do not, and, and all of these things do this, and he kind of sums it up with this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, I'm going to key in on bitterness. That's kind of the one that kind of encapsulates all of these. We look at this word, and some of you are going, yeah, like, man, I'm, I'm glad, like a brawler. 
Like that one kind of comes out. And we think of brawler. We think of a guy who would be in a bar and he gets in fights all the time. You know what the root word, like the Greek word behind brawler is? You ready, church? It's going to be convicting. Shouting. Shouting at your children. Shouting at your husband. Shouting at your wife. That's a brawler. This is like these things lead to bitterness. And all of this stuff grieves the Holy Spirit. And bitterness is when we begin to hold things in and we burn. And it causes us to treat others like Satan treats them when we should be treating them like God treats them. And that's forgiveness. And when we don't do this, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And so these practices all lead to unforgiveness, which is not the characteristic of the follower of Jesus. The disciple of Christ, the first thing on his mind whenever somebody wrongs him is I've got to work toward forgiveness. Why? Because I have been forgiven. And I'm an image bearer of Christ and his holiness and his righteousness is in me and I need to be what I am. And so here's what the Lord is trying, the big idea of today's talk. Dear church, cut loose and live like Jesus. Cut loose and live like Jesus. We don't live like everyone else lives because we have experienced a miracle. We have gone, we have crossed from death to life. And I'm reminded of the story of Lazarus. If you study the Gospels, you'll learn that one of Jesus' friends was Lazarus, and they, he received a report that Lazarus was sick. And so they said, come quickly, Lord, because Lazarus is sick. And Jesus waited a few more days, and then he went. And when he gets there, Mary and Martha are there. It's their brother. And said, they say, Lord, um, uh, when, when Jesus says, roll the stone away, they'd already buried the guy. He says, roll the stone away. And they're like, Lord, he's been dead four days. He's going to stink. And so Jesus says, roll it away. He calls forth Lazarus, and Lazarus comes forth. And Jesus says, when Lazarus is standing there, now you have to understand, they wrapped him in grave clothes, means, meaning that they wrapped him up from head to toe. He was, he, was, he was bound in these grave clothes. And he says, loose him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let that man go. Go on living. It is a picture of what happens to each of us as we are born again spiritually. Take off the grave clothes and let them go. That's why Paul says, take off the old self and put on the new. So the the call to the body of Christ is, is that we have to learn how to cut loose and let go. These areas of our lives that we hold on to and and that we know the Lord is asking for, they're grave clothes. Like, cut them loose. Let it go. And watch the Lord begin to move in your life. And so we come to the point in the sermon where we got to go, okay, what does this mean for me? What am I supposed to do with this? How am I, like, what is the Lord asking for? There's no doubt for every one of us he's asking for something. Like, that's just, that's just the way it works. And so the, the beauty is, is when we get into a rhythm in life where we start wanting and desiring to recognize the areas of our lives that need to be surrendered. Because we know that when we surrender them, there's freedom there. 
And so we let them go, man, and, and the Lord starts moving in that area, and we're like, whoa. And, and the joy of the Lord that is our strength begins to flow through our body. And, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to, um, like, quicken my flesh and wake me up. And the kindness, I start operating at work in a kind manner and, and having compassion. I start treating people the way that I, I never would before. What is going on with me? Jesus. That's what's going on with you. He's getting his way. And the fruit of Christ is being grown in your life. And that's like, come on, church. If we believe in Jesus like if we believe that he's coming back, if we believe that he is the source of our salvation, why wouldn't we surrender to him everything and learn how to let the things go that he wants to get his hands on and move out of our lives? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.